Hello and welcome to SMPD, the podcast where we look back at the cartoons that shaped our childhood. Slightly different again this week, not a cartoon, more a live action show. We are going to be looking at Are You Afraid of the Dark? So, for submission to the Midnight Society, this is the tale of the Pointless Podcast. Yeah, um, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, it's a Canadian horror fantasy themed anthology television show. Um, much in the vein of uh, Twilight Zone, No Limits, that sort of thing, it was always... Very similar setup, but then um, supernatural stories, ghost stories, some aliens, some spirits, and whatever else, um, told by uh, by a group of kids on a campfire. Mm-hmm. Um, usually finished off. Most of them ended happily. A couple of them ended really fucking badly. Um, Did they normally end happily? I can't remember. In my head, they always ended. I mean, I haven't seen this for quite a while now. I have seen it since I was a kid, but I haven't seen it recently, which I have with some of the other yeah. shows that we've seen. Uh, I, I don't know, I always just remember, maybe that's just because it is an anthology show and so you automatically connect it to things like Twilight Zone and Twilight Zone tended to end on a downer. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I just assumed this did as well, but no, then I guess with kids TV... That was the thing, but I mean, um, the word it says on the wiki entry is that uh, many but not all the horror stories ended with a happy ending, where some some have had bad feelings or twist endings like the tale of the lonely ghost, uh, tale of the dark musical, tale of the vampire town. Generally there was... An acceptance that the story ended okay, the people got away with it. Every now and again, there was a hint that something was still there, something was underlying, there was still a potential for something to go wrong. Well, because they were recurring characters as well. There was a clown that I remember specifically. Yeah, there were a couple of pop up all the time. Yeah, there were a couple of recurring characters. Um, Zebo the clown was um, one of the Zebo, that's it. He was yeah. just, um, he used to have cigar. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, there was one character who was afraid of clowns. I can't remember who it was. Um, it's the um, the what, blonde girl. Yeah. Um, that doesn't really narrow it down. No, it doesn't. Um, so yeah, so she, uh, so yeah, there's there's an episode about clowns, um, and then it kind of stemmed from there. But if you, always clowns, there's always clowns. But it, interesting, if you look at the, um, the 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 titles at the beginning, there's not really a theme as such. It's just a, a lots of spooky images with some creaking and some random noise on it. But there is um, a clown in an attic. A toy clown in the it's attic. It's a doll, isn't it? Yeah, it's a clown. It's a clown mm-hmm. doll. Yeah, the um, the intro. I guess the intro to this episode is going to be weird as well because I normally use the title music. Yeah, but there isn't. There isn't. It's just sound effects, isn't it? From it's just creaking. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, pretty, it's pretty fucking creepy. It's probably as I say, I, I haven't seen it recently, but I haven't seen it since I was a kid. And to be honest, the titles are probably the scariest thing about the whole show. <laughs> because, oh God, yeah. I mean, it, I, well, I mean, we we sort of talked about this very briefly before we started recording. And as I said, it's the Twilight Zone for kids. Mm. It's a watered down, friendlier, more kid, you know, more kid suitable version of that. So the themes are going to be pretty similar. Some things they talk about are going to be pretty similar. It's not going to be done in such a dark way. And you don't want to be giving kids nightmares. No, I mean, I remember as a kid watching it, there were definitely episodes that would freak me out. You know, some of the writing and stuff has the potential to be scary. And these are fairly well-constructed ghost stories. All of them, you know, single anthology stories. They are fairly well-constructed in that they will all have a a theme in the beginning and end. Lots of them had a moral... Yeah kind of story to it as well it's more just <laughs> i mean this was i'm assuming it was quite cheap i don't know what the production value was but a lot of this takes place in daylight it's a single camera show yeah so it looks like an american sitcom yeah and the acting is also as bad as you would expect yeah. on an american aside i mean the midnight society themselves and those sequences are fairly well put together and yeah and those guys are okay they're passable they're all right, but I think the, the problem is that you, you're you putting kid actors in roles that you wouldn't have generally seen kids taking on. That's the thing. 
Yeah, um, and because I think they were only like it was one story per episode, yeah. and so I think the stories themselves were probably only about twenty minutes, and so there is a lot of exposition heavy. Yeah, because the the way it was kind of set up was you'd you'd start every episode would start and end at the campfire. And one of the kids would introduce this story and tell this story, but as soon as they start, we would then be presented the story as a yeah. as a complete package, as a, as a vignette, if you like. Um, but then they wouldn't have an overriding voiceover throughout the story. Once they set it up and gave you the initial opening, yeah, it was that funny. was it. All the exposition came from the characters, and so there was a lot of really bad dialogue that yeah. you know young actors had to deliver. Yeah. And I mean, I, I rewatched the first episode this morning, um, just to, again, just to sort of re-familiarise myself with it. And um, it's called the, the Phantom Cab. Um, it, the two brothers get lost in the woods. And the older brother, who's a bit of a meathead, bit of a jock, um, and the younger brother's a bit of a geek, um, the older brother's dialogue is fucking terrible. It's basically, every other line is, I'm going to pound on you. So basically, it's, um, yeah. it's him telling his little brother he's going to kick his ass. But you think, well, that's really fucking poor. There's no... no there's no need for that. It just it doesn't lend anything to it, other than it gives an unnecessary threat to what should be a threatening story anyway. Yeah, I think this is very much a product of its time. It's from the early nineties, I want to say. Yeah, first episode of nineteen ninety. There you go. Um, TV was very different then. Yeah, uh, and much in the same way that well, I guess animation hasn't really changed that much because some of the animated shows that we look at are very well constructed, very well put together. But certainly with TV in the last 15 years, the quality of production that we expect from TV yeah. has gone through the roof. Yeah. Um, and this isn't that. This is very much TV of an earlier time and yeah. children's TV of an earlier time and American children's TV. TV. Well, Canadian, yeah, okay, but it was picked up by Nickelodeon. This was produced yeah. in Canada, but you think of it as. Yeah, you American. think of it being an American show. It's, um, yeah, it, was, it was a Canadian show. It was. Um, it was created by DJ McHale and um, Ned Candle. I was picked up by Nickelodeon in 1991. Um, part of the um, production deal with um, Sinai in Canada was that it was actually, it actually had to be filmed in Canada. It was part of the part of the deal, so obviously the revenue. Uh, That's not uh, uncommon so. even these days. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it was. Um, it uh, first aired on Halloween in 1990 on the Canadian TV network YTV. Um, and it aired until June 11th, 2000, but had a bit of a break in the middle when we had two iterations. Um, premiered on Nickelodeon SNCC on August 15th, 1992. I aired until 1996. So, I mean, it, no, it's, it was, it, it, they had it in Canada for a whole yeah. year and a half before it went anywhere else. It went else. anywhere else, yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, it was, it was, it was very much seen as a, as a Canadian product and a successful Canadian product as well. Um, it was definitely successful. I mean, I remember it being on Nick over here, and it was, I guess, what on what you would consider to be prime time. Nick used to finish at about seven o'clock at night. Yeah, and this would always have the six thirty slot. Yeah, it was like this. Your day would lead up to watching. Are you afraid of the dark? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so uh, just by the way it was said, then um, episodes are twenty two to twenty five minutes. So stick an ad break in there. So yeah, we've got your uh, your, your thirty minutes in. Um, as I said, started around a campfire, um, group of kids, uh, varied in size. Um, there were a fucking lot of those kids. 
the first episode there were about six or seven of them. But they then, were kind of interchangeable though. Yeah, they? you had some left after after oh, there's one who was only only two episodes in the first series and just was never spoken of again. Mm. You had a couple left after season three and the, the way they said oh, they, oh, their families moved away, which is kind of common. It's a theme that kids deal with yeah. that they have friends and then they move away and things like that. So you had that. Um, but yeah, so you all start around the campfire and then you'd have a different storyteller every week. Yeah. Um, and each story I would begin their story by saying submit if the approval of the Midnight Society I call this story the tale of blank Yeah. and it would always be the tale of whatever or the story of whatever and then they tossed a handful of uh, Midnight Dust uh, which I'm assuming was sure looks like the, uh, the fire go up Midnight Dust is that what it's called That's really? what, uh, that thought... sounds like a narcotic yeah <laughs> <laughs> probably was yeah would explain a lot yeah um, Yeah. so they had this leather pouch of uh, Midnight Dust they throw it on the fire um, the flames of uh, would uh, would enhance you know you get this eerie white smoke and then it would fade from the, the smoke would come up on that yeah, yeah the title would be on smoke and it would fade into the into the actual episode into the story they were telling um, submit if the approval of was uh, not the Twilight Zone um, oh yeah so Rod Serling would say yeah, after introducing the episode they submitted for your approval, approval and then announced the I title I never made that connection but yeah I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan um, I've only seen a few of them I love the Twilight Zone, but I had never made, and until you just pointed out, I'd never made that connection. Yeah, I, I never had either. I'd only seen a couple of Twilight Zones, but um, it was always one of those I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll get into that. It's the sort of thing I enjoy, but I just never got around I, to it. I mean, I, I love anthology shows, um, and Twilight Zone is the best by far. It trumps out a limit, so one of those Twilight yeah. Zone was, was superb. Um, but yeah, I, I never made that connection. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so then you'd have the story. Um, and then, so there'd be various. Each of the characters, and we'll come on to the characters in a minute, but they all had their own sort of nuances. They had their areas of interest. Yeah, the guy with the glasses, I specifically, because he was kind of like the leader. Yeah, he was the. And he was, he like was proper into magic and shit. Wasn't yeah, he? his his were magic and sort of ma- um, possessed objects and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that. I remember that. And then, and then the blonde one, um, who this is how I realised they used to change characters because um, she's kind of hot. <laughs> When you were a kid, so yeah. like when she vanished, yeah. she was only there for about three series. I think I was like, "Where the yeah. fuck she gone?" But hers always used to be about like, um, like fairy stories, like yes, like or yeah, what you would consider traditional fairy story stuff. Then, yeah, from what I remember, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'll go, I'll go through the characters then because there were sort of fucking millions of them. Um, in the first iteration, and we'll come on to the iterations in a second. But um, the first iteration had Gary, who was the leader, who was the um, the guy with glasses. Um, uh, Betty Ann, Kiki, Frank Moore, Tucker, uh, Samantha, Kristen, David, Stig, and Eric. Stig. Yeah. Um, and I'll, just go, I'll cover that very quickly now. Then um, Stig was um, uh, was his nickname. His nickname may come from the term stigma, as he's marked as an outsider for his notable lack of hygiene. Uh, so he's Stig of the Dump. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm Let's not read too much well. into this. He's Stig of the Dump. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but um, they all had their particular thing. So um, the one thing that did strike me actually, and as a as a fairly nerdy looking kid with glasses, the fact that you had a you know, a central focus of a show or a leader of a of a group like this who had that, that same look, he had that sort of very bookish, uh, yeah, sort of gla- glasses was, sort of look. He was clearly getting the shit kicked out of him in school. Yeah, which is why he went off. And said, but this was his thing. Like yeah. he's he's the boss yeah. around the, that campfire. Like, yeah, that, that's like, it. Um, so yeah, like, but as you said, his thing was all um, magic. So um, lots of things about Houdini. Um, 
yeah, yeah, like I that. remember him being obsessed with Houdini. Um, and then stories that revolve around cursed or enchanted objects with supernatural properties and how in the wrong hands they cause disaster um, for the person holding it and those around them. Um, he had the main recurring character, which was Sardo. At, um, Magic, Shop. Magic Shop. Yep. So um, we'll come on him in a second. Uh, most of his stories had the main character buying an enchanting object from Sardo's shop. He did the monkey paw. Yeah. I remember that was the first because I remember seeing it on The Simpsons. I was like, oh, that's like, are you afraid of the dark? And then you realize that as you get older and you watch things like Twilight Zone as well, and you're like, yeah. no, this story's been around forever. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> like, and that's, I think that's the, the, the joy of watching things as a kid is that you don't make these connections. No, like, I know that absolutely this was not the best iteration of the Monkey Port, nor the first. Yeah. But for me, yeah. it was. It was and so it, it would always first. be, oh, that's like, are you afraid of the dark? Yeah, that's right. And I think that. I said, that's the joy of watching shows as a kid where you don't have these associations or you don't have the baggage of these things that you, yeah, you've yeah. grown up with. Um, whereas you know, watching things now, you go, oh, I remember that. That's from such and such. Yeah, yeah. They did that in this first. And you kind of don't appreciate them then as much, even though they're done usually as, um, as an homage. Mm. You know, it's, it's done to pay tribute, whereas you kind of think, oh, they dropped it off. I think as, um, as somebody who is a fan of anthology shows, as I say, and, and as somebody specifically that, that likes supernatural horror and, and science fiction um i think are you afraid of the dark is probably the touchstone for a lot of that for me it, yeah. it was a lot of firsts for me because it was an anthology show and because i think i was young enough when i watched it to have not been as well versed in this stuff as i as i was later on as a as a mid-teenager yeah. where i just watched any old shit regardless of the rating on it hence the show hence this show yeah um I think a lot of a lot of my firsts would have come in this because over the course of Jesus Christ, this thing must have run for about ten years. Yeah, this uh, ran from nineteen ninety to two thousand. We had a gap in the middle well, between the first and second. Yeah, I should say so. By two thousand, I wouldn't have been watching it, and I would have graduated to things like Twilight Zone and yeah, and what have you. But those initial years from so nineteen ninety, I would have been nine. This yeah. was the level that I was and you, okay with. What well, I mean, it you would have scared the shit out of me. Yeah, as well. But that's kind of the, where it would have been pitched. Would yeah, have been yeah. that sort of you know, preteen, yeah, uh, preteen audience. Um, and yeah, and I think I think you're right. I think that's that's probably where you go to graduate. Two things like the Outer the Outer Limits, and some of the the other shows that I mean, not kid shows that we've talked about, mm. other shows that we're interested in and that we may talk about on another podcast at another time. I, I'm sure we will. I mean, there were other kids shows like this yeah. there's Goosebumps and what have you as well and I'm sure we'll touch on all of them um, but this is the one that always sticks out to me this is the one I remember most yeah. fondly um, as I say having rewatched it a couple of years ago now but rewatched it as an adult yeah. um, it, it's not what I remember but it is it is what it is. It's a product of the time. Yeah. It was pitched towards kids, and so you have to take it as that. Yeah, and I, mean, I think I've, I've got a bit. It, it is what I remember, in as much as okay, the the, the perform some performances are really shit, and it looks old. Oh my god! Um, it, like just the fashions alone. Yeah, and you're always going to get that. And I, I appreciate that, but like just that the the actual visual as well, the the, the sort of way the camera set up and stuff like. It looks really old. Single camera shows. It looks fucking awful. But the show itself, for what I remember it being, which was kids telling ghost stories. Okay, by today's standards and by what we've seen since from graduating into more adult things, the the stories are pretty shit. But they're well put together and you can see why there's an appeal there. You can see why they've endured. They are, 
I mean, they are exactly what they say on the tin. They are ghost stories that kids would tell around the campfire. They are that basic. They are very simplistic. Yeah. Um, but they work as that. It is That's exactly it. the kind of thing that, I mean, I used to go to camps and stuff as a kid with, with school and, and you'd be up late at night telling each other ghost stories and this is exactly the kind of juvenile shit yeah. that you would ramp out, you know, fucking demon clowns and yeah. and ghost cabs and shit like that. Just absolute nonsense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I think that's probably for me why it's why there's an enduring fondness for it, and it, no, it's not just I mean other people have spoken to um, other other friends of ours have spoken to being the build up to this one. Mm. Oh, I love that show. Do you remember this one? Do you remember that one? And a lot of so a lot of these anthology shows, people will remember sort of standout episodes that makes another rang a bell with them or struck a chord with yeah. them. Yeah, because you don't remember the characters as much as you remember the individual episode of that show. Yeah, and I think there's also. I mean, it's lightning in a bottle, I guess, but there was that period of, of the early 90s as well that I certainly remember being in school where, like, everybody all of a sudden was into horror. You had things like uh, the Point Horror books yeah. were out, you had Goosebumps, you had all of that, yeah. and, like, teen horror was a thing. Yeah. Whereas now teen fiction is all about fucking wizards and Katniss Everdeen. And yeah, I mean, I mean, t- teen fiction's always difficult because, I mean, the, you look at sort of teen fiction or young adult fiction, it's kind of... The way it's set up is whatever the the universe is, whatever the, the universal norm is, be it werewolves or vampires or whatever, that thematically they're all the same. They're all about sort of finding your place in the world mm-hmm. and sort of challenging authority to a point where actually realise that no, you can challenge injustice. It's not it's not about just about right or wrong. It's about the way the sort of society is set up. So they're all kind of the same. And you look at things like things like the Hunger Games and Maze Runner stuff. They've all got very similar themes to them. Yeah, and they just exist in different universes. Even Twilight and stuff like that. There is very def- definite element mm-hmm. of that in there, and I think this is kind of the the precursor to that. So it's the the slightly younger version before you get into that. Yeah, it's a, actually yeah. We, there are things that aren't. It's not all fairy tales and castles and wizards and knights and shining armor. There are some slightly darker things that you probably need to be aware of, and it's it's that sort of effect is preparing kids for the fact that the life isn't all roses and, and yeah, yeah. there are things that you will experience that aren't going to be pleasant mm-hmm. and okay they're exaggerated and they're, they're fictionalised and turned into stories for, but no there's that element to it yeah um, so yeah so going back to the characters um, let's say Gary was the main one um, in there's a three part episode of Tale of the Silver Sight which is in the second iteration um, he reveals that his and David's grandfather was the founder of the original Midnight Society um, and the reason that he was set up um with the group of kids for the first iteration was that he wanted to no, he, it was something he wanted to carry on yeah. um, and then um, not, not thinking of what David Tucker was thinking of uh, Tucker being garrisoned where he then runs the second iteration right so it, it keeps that that family tradition going as well um, Betty Ann um, vibrant girl has an open and eager passion for the bizarre and twisted her stories including themes where alien or supernatural forces are tr- trying to break into the worlds of the characters or trying to drag them into their own unnatural realms so again, a bit more involvement for the, um, no, a bit, too, a bit more. It's a bit, a bit more out of the ordinary. Like, so things like ghost cabs that you can think, okay, well that's yeah. But it's anything that where they deal with demons and spirits and stuff like that. It's, there's always that thing. There are, there are always going to be people that, oh, well, that's a bit close yeah, to the yeah. especially with kids. And you, you, know, you don't want to necessarily be talking about things like that. And I think that the the good thing that this show, the way this show handled it, was very good and very positive because it was never. It, it didn't mock it, but it didn't set out to make things too sinister. Yeah. And I think there's generally with, with horror, certainly in film, that's the way it goes. It's either shocky and over the top and um, <clears throat> vividly gory for the sake of it, or it's just so bloody intense and surreal that people get freaked out by it. Yeah. So this is probably a good balance and a good place to start with there. 
Uh, Kiki, um, I hate this description uh, whenever you see it. Um, basically, it means a strong-willed female child, but a spunky tomboy. Right, okay. I fucking hate that. Um, a spunky tomboy girl who often makes fun of others. Many of her stories involve plots with the danger of carelessness or deceitfulness, as well as the danger of the past repeating itself. So it's not... It doesn't. Really, it doesn't really seem to fit. Now some of the episodes. I mean, I'm not without going back and watching all the episodes. I can't really see where that fits. But so the way that, the way it's kind of set up, you think, well, it's not really in keeping. No. Um, there was one episode I did remember. And I I couldn't remember the details of it, but I remember there was one one story that she was trying to tell, but she couldn't. She lost her voice. And I don't know if this was, this was genuine and there to improvise on the show, or whether they just couldn't be asked to write. Or they didn't want to write her episode for it. Um, but Gary ended up telling her story. Um, the one story she came up with because she had laryngitis. <laughs> so I'm assuming the actor, the actress had uh, some Surely, issues. Surely, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd hope so. I'd hope that the writers weren't that fucking lazy. Yeah. Um, then you have Frank, who's a punkish teenager with an in-your-face attitude, not stereotyped at all. Annoying little shit is what Frank was. Yeah. Um, his boys don't often have a running theme, but they do have uh, another recurring character, which is Do- Dr. Vink. Mm. Um, but Dr. Vink was, wasn't consistent, whereas... No, um, uh, Sardo had the magic shop and he was not based on it. Zebo was a, was a clown. He was always a clown. Yeah. Doctor Vink, he was a filmmaker. He was a mad scientist. Uh, you know, he did all sorts of different things. Yeah. It was just no. It was. The, I think just they have the running joke of calling him Doctor Vink. Yeah. And then he went, "No, Vink, va la la," a bit like the Count of Sesame yeah, Street. Yeah. Now, so that's an exaggerated accent. Um. Uh. In season five, him and his family moved away, and I think the general consensus was thank fuck for that. Yeah, um, but yeah. moving away was kind of like the Are You Afraid of the Dark equivalent of taking your dog to the farm. Oh yeah, it was just like, okay, um, this character's running his course now. We need to shoot it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And you all, you always need if you're going to have a show like this, where it's going to run and run, where they're not central to the story, you always yeah. kind of need fresh blood with the characters. Yeah. So I mean, they did it with a few of them. Um, I said. Various characters. I think uh, Kristen moved away as well. Yeah. Um, it, no, it was that thing where you did it because you know, well, okay, the, we've gone as far as we can. They don't really that character in itself is not and there were subplots with the main characters as well. Oh yeah, there were little bits that were, like there was an arc. Yeah. With these characters. Um, and I mean that's that tends to be forgotten. I'd certainly forgotten yeah. about that. I, mean, I remember them introducing the stories. And I remember them. There were relationships and all sorts. Yeah, um, and I'd, I'd forgotten about that, that yeah, side yeah. of things. So I'm talking about that in a second. Um, so Tucker was Gary's younger brother, not David, um, which I got that wrong. Um, Gary's younger brother is the youngest member of the, of the society. Due to his age, is often portrayed as youthfully obnoxious, um, so another little shit, basically. Yeah. Um, stories tend to involve family relationships uh, that are at first sour but grow in strength in the face of adversity, possibly reflecting the relationship with his brother. So again, trying to be a bit symbolic, a bit, a bit thematic. Uh, the running theme of characters accidentally unleashing evil upon their world. Um, after Gary left, he took his place as the president of the Ignite Society. Once Tucker's in charge, he's less of a brat and more of a serious leader like his older brother. He's the only character to appear in both generations of the Ignite Society. Um, there's, there are a couple of things um, I've found on um, Reddit and places like that talking about um, Tucker and Gary. And so there's not much written that I can, I can find online about this show other than descriptions of episodes and stuff like that. But there, there does seem to be the suggestion that obviously that all, the, all the characters have their own type of story and they have their own themes. And Tucker's sense to be sort of the more dysfunctional, um, family realistic stuff, mm-hmm. whereas Gary's were all about escapism. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot written about that. So how how those two characters are needed to complement each other. Yeah. And when you don't have that in the second iteration, the second generation, Tucker's stories kind of suffer for it. Okay. 
Then you've got Sam, who's a shy girl with an obvious mutual crush on Gary, which becomes one of the highlighted arcs of both their development in the series. Yeah. Reflected in this affection for Gary, Sam's stories tend to have more of a strong theme of love and its endurance beyond death. So again, kind of classic ghost stories. Yeah, but again, just playing with genres a bit and trying yeah. to help. It's, it's introducing kids to become... By doing an anthology show, you can cross like, a myriad of genres oh, yeah. in, in the one, and it's, it, it seems to have worked pretty well yeah. in that respect. Um, then you have Kristen, who, um, all the squeamish but much asked for the fondness for ghost stories and fairy tales, a growing crush on David and their affection for each other's developing arc in the first few seasons. She loves to dress up for her stories or bring something for effect, like props, and something to scare the others. Her stories almost always deal, deal with ghosts in the past who have unfinished business that cannot complete without the aid of the living. In season three, she left me and decided to do to her and her family moving away. There you go. So again, yeah. Well, going next door. Taking that back in shot. Yeah. Um, then you had David, who's a quiet boy with mysterious expression, reflecting on his introverted nature. Just, sorry, because this has literally just popped in my head, sorry. She actually moved away to become sheer and clueless. Oh, okay. From what I remember. You might need to fact check that. But well, in, in the series on the film? Convinced. No, the series. Oh, Rachel Blanchard. I'm convinced she went over into Clueless. Oh, look now. But, um, quite possibly. Yes, it was Rachel Blanchard. Which there you go. And, yeah, so that she she finished in 93. Clueless series was about 97, so she, it'd probably been sort of school age where she has to finish stuff. Yeah. And then go off to be an actress. Um, that's not bad off the top of my head, was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you're Christa, uh, so that's Christian. David, a quiet boy with mysterious expression, reflecting his introverted nature and need to de- uh, de- deal with his crush on Christian. David's stories tend to be less about malignant outside forces and more to the evil of past events left unresolved, or the darkness of inside normal people and the consequences of not dealing with actions. In season three, he and his family moved away, so again, fuck them off as well. And it was it seems to be that they put they take the pairs away, because then you can introduce new characters, new, yeah. new characters and new, new dynamics. For me, if you were running it, you move one of them away and then you have that character deal with it. Deal with it, yeah. yeah. But then it turns a bit into Dawson's Creek. Um Stig we've covered already. Um, he's the last member initiated to, to this to this generation of Binet Society. As such, he only has two stories in the series before the cast has changed. Due to the aversion people seem to have against him for his looks, both his stories can revolve around outsiders judge for their appearances and tastes. So again, just kind of making a character no, making a character fit the theme. Yeah. Um, and not ripping off Stig in a dumb battle. Yeah. Um, and then lastly you've got Eric, who's a diminutive teenager with a visibly with visibly Irish ancestry. Um, the influence of his first story. So he's ginger. He's ginger, yeah. He's pale and ginger. Visibly Irish. Yeah. Um, as his only two... Uh, you only have two stories in the first... The campfire <laughs> and a dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as he only has two stories in the first season before his character was cut, there's no visible theme in his storytelling, but they seem to be like incredibly powerful forces, powerful evil forces, ones that never proved innocent or misunderstood like some of the others. Leprechauns. fucking hell. Midgets in green. Not cool. Um, in his short run on the show, Eric was shown to be rather snide and negative, spending most of the time making sarcastic remarks and antagonising the other members, especially Frank. He's the only character to leave the show without any explanation for his departure. So yeah, basically, nobody liked him, so they fucked him off. Jesus Christ. Which is kind of harsh, no? How harsh is that on the Irish? Well, you know, he was ginger, so... Yeah. Not that we have anything against ginger people. We just don't like them. Um... So yes, I mean the way they kind of set up that first generation. That the, the, the there was six seasons, I think, in the first run, um, from ni- late nineteen ninety into nineteen ninety six, um, and they sort of they, they had all the, they had they used a lot of the scenes and they sort of kept recurring those scenes and that seemed to work for a while. Um, I 
there's not so too much written about why it ended. I don't think it was under a cloud. I think it was just they got to a point where they wanted to finish. I think the kids would be getting that much older. I think, you, I mean, if you're talking 2000 as well, what you're going to have had is that, like I said, there was lightning in the bottle. Certainly, I remember our generation being into horror. And then by 97-ish, we've all grown up. Well, 96 when the first run finished. Well, there you go, right. So we've moved straight from that onto Buffy. Yeah. Essentially. Right. And then if you track this through... We've all then moved on to Buffy. Culture has shifted, and all of a sudden you get the fucking Twilight horror teen romance shit come in. And so that kind of... I think that emphasis... I know it's not hardcore because it's for kids, but that emphasis on a hardcore version of horror for kids has gone. It's yeah. just shifted. Um, so I, I think that's probably where, where the break came in. Quite possibly. Like, I mean, the, 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 second, um, the second generation, I don't see why they've done it, I've got to be honest. Um, it doesn't seem to make... A great deal of sense. It doesn't seem to be a great addition to what you had anyway. I mean, the whole thing with an anthology show, though, is it, it can just be infinitely rebooted and yeah. redone ad nauseum because there's no... Yes, okay, you have the Midnight Society, but you weren't particularly so attached to any of those characters no. that it, the characters didn't really matter because you were there for the story of the week. So it's very easy to just reboot an anthology it, show. It is, but I think, as you say, there'd been a cultural shift by that point. I don't think... I, I'm not sure the demand would have been there for which is probably no. why they only had one season with yeah. the second generation. Um, but the second generation, um, 1999 to 2000, um, several years after the last meeting of the Midnight Society, Tucker returns to reinitialize the meetings, inviting his own circle of friends to reform Midnight Society. So then, again, some of the character tropes have changed a little bit. I don't think I've seen any of these. I, I, I don't remember any of these. Um, I know Alicia Cuthbert was in it. Yeah. But I've never seen them. Yeah, so you had um, four new characters. Quinn, who's uh, usually getting into trouble at school at home, was a smart kid that likes to make fun of Andy and team up with uh, Evangelina. Uh, Evangeline. Uh, Evangeline's the youngest of the new Midnight Society. She's a tomboy and doesn't have a problem speaking her mind. So again, using that old chestnut. Yeah. Um, Andy is a very sweet and kind kid. He's always been made fun of by Quinn and Evangeline for having more muscle and brains. He lives on a farm with his family, often works there before and after school, and is closest to Megan. Uh, Megan's a rich kid who's not comfortable in the woods, would rather hold Midnight Society in her own well-managed garden. Tucker, not being the stickler's brother, was lets Megan refurnish the campfire, campfire with some comfortable couches and seems to have a soft spot for Andy. So they've kind of just watered down a lot of the characters. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole thing of you know, that sort of you know, big and dumb farm boy, you know, it, it's a, again, it's just bringing in these stereotypes and you know, it, does, it doesn't seem to be trying to break them at all. No. Um, not having you know, and then you know, the uh, spoiler little rich girl who wants to make everything her way. Yeah. Um, Lisa was in it. Uh, she played Megan, so the, the the super rich one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's not really a great deal. It, it doesn't talk about sort of the themes of their uh, of this no. of this second one. I don't know whether you know, whether in one season they had enough time to, to really develop anything. Yeah. I mean, we we talk about Alicia Cuthbert then. Um, I, I remember her being in it, but then subsequently you find um, as as kind of stars of that generation break there are a fuck ton of names that have been through this show in well, individual episodes i'm really glad you said that because i've highlighted i know gosling was in it the guest appearances section um although not nearly as prestigious as the guest stars on similar shows such as tales from the crypt the twilight zone and tales from the dark side there are a fair number of notable actors many of whom would become much more famous later in their careers i'm not going to read the entire list it's massive but some of these include um charles dutton ryan gosling nev campbell melissa joan hart Hayden Christensen, um, uh, Jewel State, who's in uh, Firefly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's um, millions of them. 
Um, if you look on the wiki page, it says there's a just a massive paragraph of names. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it it seems to be a thing. And you, you see it now. You know, you, you've always seen it, but especially with child actors, they've got to start somewhere. And as if they stay with the industry as they mm -hmm. as they develop, you see every now and again that people roll out the old clips of the stuff they were in when they were first starting and stuff like that. Um, there's one I think it's an early X Files episode with Jack Black is in. Yeah. Um, which he plays a very annoying tertiary character. Yeah. Uh, who's in it for about five minutes? But again, people wheel out. It's one of his first performances, mm. and now Jack Black being Jack Black. Yeah, you no, know, it, it's it's a big thing. So looking back at like Ryan Gosling and and people like that who are you know, massive stars, everyone's got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's just because it was an anthology show as well. Um, yeah, you needed a massive cast. Yeah, and, and these are, I mean, like I said, some of the writing is terrible. But these are meaty roles. It's not like you're going to play a bit part in the X Files where you're on screen for like ten seconds. Yeah. If you land a role in one of these stories, you you've got be, an episode because there are only like two or three characters in each episode, so yeah. you've got a lot of screen time That's for right. one episode. Yeah, and you, you know, I mean, I said we talked about some of the dialogue being awful and sort of the way they look, but generally, as as roles, they they were worth playing. I think I don't think anybody knows this. Either. This show was was big at the time, you know. So if you were in this and it's yeah. on your CV, then you've been in a recognised show. You yeah. know, it's not like you're in some two bit. Canadian show that nobody knew about. This was huge. Yeah, that's right. So I mean, it's, it was um, it's it's a big deal. And so you know, it's it still seems to be a pretty big deal now. I mean, they announced last year they're doing a movie, um, which is due out next October. Yeah. I'm not sure how they're going to do that. I'm, I'm not sure. I guess you do it just the same as you do tales from the crypt movies and like stuff like that. You just you get three stories, you chain yeah. them together. I mean, you've already got the overarching thing of the Midnight Society, so yeah. it's easy to link it around that. Um, yeah, I think it'll work. Yeah, I mean, anthology films are still out there. I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't see so many of them nowadays. Um, no, I mean, the last one I can remember being any good was probably Trick or Treat. Yeah, um, but they, I mean, they are still out there. Mm. Yeah, you know, they still work. I think. I th yeah, I mean, it's, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I can't remember specifically the recent one. Um, what I mean, I've not seen it, but what was the Goosebumps film like? That wasn't I've, anthology, was it? No, that was, that was different. That was. Um, I've not seen. I've got it. It was um, it was in the night teachers deal last Christmas. But it was based. The premise I think was that the book that R.L. Stein wrote all his stories in. Mm. It's basically a magic book, and everything that's in there is real. And somebody opens the book oh, and unleashes okay. it all in the world. So they went meta rather yeah. than doing a pretty anthology. Much. Yeah. Okay. Um, and funny enough, Jack Black played R.L. Stein. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean that's kind of how they did it. So rather than having an anthology, an anthology movie, it was just. Everything I've ever written, all the monsters I've created, mm. everything you remember from your childhood of being fucking terrifying, really, yeah. you've just unleashed on the world because it's real. Um, I've not seen it. I don't know if it's any good. Um, I have it. I shall go around watching it. I don't like Jack Black, so I've, I've given it a wide berth. Um, but um, but yeah, so I mean, it'd be interesting to see how that pans out, and I'd be interested to see how the how you the dark movie pans out, um, and how they how they manage it. I'm I'm really game for it I yeah if, if it's going to be an anthology sh uh, movie and if they're going to pitch it correctly which now would be i mean it, it can't be young adult now it's got to be pitched at us oh yeah i mean the problem i is mean i'm not talking make it fucking 18 rated but it needs to be around that 15 level it needs to be pitched at older teenagers and yeah up. yeah and i'm all all up for it yeah it'd be interesting to see i, I don't know I mean, it writes itself. A new iteration of the Midnight Society again, as you say, you get the kids of the kids yeah. come in and they'll find some fucking notes from the Midnight Society and they'll go and set their own thing up. And yeah, and then no, you can't you cameo some of the old, the originals. And yeah, yeah, of course you do. Uh, it's not they, all, they all rock up. Yeah. Well, that's it, they get paid that way. 
most of them seem to have disappeared. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's. It'd be interesting. I mean, oh God, sorry. Yeah, what it is is a fucking franchise as well, isn't it? Because once you've established the Midnight Society and you have that original anthology, you then have a fucking label. You don't need anthology films every time. You yeah. have. This I is an this Are is, You Afraid of the Dark movie. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's, it's a film. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mini feature event or whatever. Yeah, I mean, this is a license to print money if it takes off. Yeah, so I mean, definitely, that's what I say. Yeah, I'm up for it, definitely. Yeah. So we talked about some of the recurring characters as well. There's only three that are really, um, that are really sort of developed. Um, you had um, Sardo, um, where the um, Magic, Magic Mansion. Shop. Yeah. Uh, he'd sell a character a prized item, succeeding almost every time. Often had items in a shop that contained real properties of magic, yet didn't know until it was revealed in the story. So basically, he had all this. He had all this junk. He didn't know what it did or what it was for, but he sold it. So, oh, it, it it does this. It does that, and then it usually did. He just didn't realize. Um, Which sooner or later you'd think he'd be like, oh yeah, actually some of this shit is real. I better. And why did it never affect him either? Well, yeah, it's, it's always some. You always look at that thing. Well, yeah, I don't know. You you need you need a bit of convenience somewhere, don't you? Mm. Um, so uh, one of the memorable recurring jokes, which I didn't remember, so I didn't uh, I didn't write this page, but um, they 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 tended to have recurring things with recurring characters just to make them a bit more uh, a bit more real. Yeah. Um, somebody would dress him as Mister Sardo, and he'd get annoyed and say, "No, that's Sardo, no Mister Accent on the dough," and he'd you know, do this big performance of how to say his name. Yeah. And then by the time you saw that person again, they'd call him Sardo again. Um, Another um, recurring line was when they, saw, they didn't have a particular item, but they sold out or something, and you always direct them to the fake vomit. Right. Um, for no other reason than it was funny. Um, well, bodily functions are funny to kids. Well, that's it. I get it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, generally appeared in Gary's stories, although later on he appeared in one or two of Tucker's. Um, um, one of that makes sense. Yeah, so um, in David's episode, The Tale of the Dark Dragon, he popped up on that as well. Um, you always kind of got this crossover with recurring characters. Um, you had it with Zebo as well, um, Zebo the Clown. Um, you didn't see him in other episodes, but he was referred to. So there was a, a Zebo computer game, I think, kind of like a paperboy type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there was um, a poster for for a film or a book which featured Zebo. Um, somebody refers to putting on makeup, and if they put on too much, they can look like Zebo stuff like that. So it, yeah, it just kind of embedded the character into into the pop, into the the show's popular consciousness, if you like. Um, and then lastly, as I mentioned earlier, was Doctor Vink. Um, a physically imposing man would often appear as a mad scientist or sorcerer. I um, introduced himself uh, by saying Vink, the name Dr. Vink. If his name mispronounced, it was normally Dr. Fink, and then he'd come back yeah. and say, no, Vink. Um, people, you know, they thought he was crazy, they thought he was nuts, um, and he'd always sometimes say, I'm not crazy. You know, it, it's that sort of, they do it in the Big Bang all the time, the Big Bang Theory all the time, so the channel says, I'm not crazy. And the joke, no, the joke is that they th- people thought he was, so they had him tested. Yeah. It's this whole thing of, I have to affirm I'm not crazy. Yeah. Because people think I think am, I'm crazy, I'm yeah. Um, but uh, unlike Sardo, who's, um, his character was constant, um, Dr. Vink had, met, had what he called unique endeavours. Um, so he lived in the woods conducting nature experiments. He was a retired filmmaker. He had a restaurant. He had a barber shop. And all this sort of really random shit. It was, I think he just really keep the actor on contract. Yeah. Um, to be honest, it was, for this type of show, it's kind of lazy. Yeah, but then also, you know, these are stories that these characters are making up to yeah, tell their so friends. So it, it then just becomes about, you know, whoever's telling the story about Dr. Vink needs a go-to character. So you say, oh, we'll use Dr. Vink. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. 
Um, so yeah, and then you had a couple of the uh, the villain in the uh, Ghastly Grinner, um, at the tale of Ghastly Grinner. Lexi Wilcon appears in a comic book that uh, dark characters read, and tale of the Ghastly Grinner. The Grinner shown as being the star of a comic book. So yeah, so um, as a, they they kind of they they did for a, a, a very good job of embedding these characters. So and. As I said, are, if, you're right. If, if kids are telling you stories, then it's quite possible they would be overlapped. Uh, if you tell me a story mm-hmm. that people you know, people tend to like, I'm going to use the same character and try to tell a different take, story. Yeah, exactly. So it makes sense. Um, so yeah, in terms of its wider impact, um, the series for multiple licensed products of a PC game um, called Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of All Fears Curse. Well, that must have been FMB. Probably, it doesn't say. Um, there was a board game called Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, and the most prominent was um, a series of books. Now, normally you get books and then the, the yeah. season, the I series made of books. Yeah. Um, but you had a series of books written by various authors based on the show, uh, released between 1995 and 1998. So, I mean, it, it's rare that it goes that way. I think that's the snake eating its tail, though, because as I say, I think this show probably grew out of the audience for like point horror yeah. and goosebumps. Yeah, true. And then this got through the door, I think, before the Goosebumps show did. Yeah, yeah, that was about 98, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and so this is just the snake eating this tail then. It's like, well, the kids like these books to begin with. Now we've got a brand, let's sell them the books back. Same as, like I said, they'll do if we get this franchise off the ground in, yeah. what is it, next year? Next October, yeah. Then all of a sudden we'll start seeing, you know, Are You Afraid of the Dark Movies and books all over again. Yeah. So it's a brand. Yeah, I think so. You're right. Um, beyond that, you had VHS releases. Um, three VHS tapes released by Sony Wonder. Um, Ghostly Tales, which included the episodes... Tale of the Shiny Red Bicycle and Tale of the Frozen Ghost, plus a bonus Feel the Fear music videos released in 1994. Oh dear. Nightmare Tales, which included the episodes Tale of the Final Wish and Tale of the Dream Machine. And the last one was Tale of the, um, Tale of the Cutter's Treasure, which was released on 1995. And then um, beyond that, they were, uh, Nickelodeon released anthologies of other stuff, yeah. including a couple of episodes of it in there. And then it all came out on DVD. Um, by 2014, all seven seasons were available. Actually, by 2008, all seven seasons were available um, around the world. So, yeah, so, you know, it's it's still going, and, you know, it does seem to still have a life. There's definitely a fondness for it still. Yeah, I think so, and I think that because it has... Yes, okay, it, it looks dated, and the dialogue is pretty ropey, but the themes carry... I think so. And this whole idea yeah. of, sort of, of swapping ghost stories and stuff like that, I think it still exists. It must be not the way... It used to, I mean, even when we were kids, because you know, you know, kids have all got smartphones and all the rest of it, but there's still this thing of telling, you know, getting tells, you know, telling stories and trying to outdo each other. Yeah, I think that stuff is still there. It's just now it would be, you know, if this was made today, it would be like, are you afraid of the dark web? Do you know what I mean? It would be, it would be that. It Sorry, would be... I didn't just spit coffee on <laughs> Come on, you set me up for that. Um, but it would be more about those tales of like, you know, the Slender Man myth and yeah. things like that. The, this is still out there. It'll never go away in culture because we're a culture of storytellers. Yeah. And we like to scare each other. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and this plays on that, and that's why it's successful. That's why horror is successful as a genre. So, it's, yeah, I think it'll remain relevant for quite some time. And yes, as you say, it's cheap, and yes, it's dated. But, I mean, to kind of to sum up for me with this then is that I think I, I haven't been able to watch any more of these prior to recording. I generally watch one or two, but life... So I haven't. Um, but just talking about it now has made me want to go away and watch some. And yes, they're bad, but I will go in knowing they're bad in the same yeah. way that if I pick up a two ninety nine horror DVD in a bargain bin, yeah, I know what I'm letting myself in for. 
Yeah, and right. I think as long as you go in, even now, as long as you go into this knowing what you're letting yourself in for, you won't be disappointed. Just expect it to look like shit. Expect to see dated clothes and expect hammy acting and bad dialogue. But if you're up for all of that and you just have a bit of fun, and yeah. it is just fun horror and ghost stories, then I think, as I say, I remember this being the best of those kid versions of these shows. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to the likes of Goosebumps at some point and, and maybe we can do a comparison then. But I remember this the most fondly, which suggests to me it probably is still the best. I don't know. Possibly. Maybe I'll be proved wrong. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I remember this one. There were bits of this. that when doing the research and stuff, I watched a couple of episodes the last couple of days just to sort of get myself back up to speed a little. Mm-hmm. But there are episodes of this which I thought were other th- other shows. Okay. So they've become embedded even though they're, they're wrongly embedded. They're, they're still in my memory. I remembered certain things. I remembered, I think, r- randomly somebody's shirt. As soon as I saw somebody's, that person's shirt, oh, fuck, that's the episode where this happens. Yeah. And bizarrely, that's how my brain works. I'd make random associations. But I didn't remember that sh- the, that episode or, or that particular, no, that character, that story being, I, afraid that. I, thought, I thought it was something else. Yeah. So it's still in there. And like the fact that I've talked to people this week about the fact that we're recording this today. And, oh, I really loved that. I remember that. And I said people could pick out certain details. Nobody remembered Midnight Society. They remembered the kids on the campfire, but they didn't yeah. remember any of the it details. It was Midnight Society. Yeah. It was Midnight Society, and they remembered certain stories. I mean, that's what's great about an anthology show as well, is that I, I guess, yeah, whenever you say this to people, they will remember certain stories, but everybody's will be different because yeah. it'll be the story that resonated with them. And that's anthology right. shows give you the opportunity to do that. This week's was crap. Okay, fine. I'll watch next week's. It may be really good. Yeah, that's right. You know, and that's that's the beauty of an anthology yeah. show. And it, it doesn't matter. I mean, we've, we've talked about sort of st- um, shows not having narrative arcs and things. Mm-hmm. So obviously, with an anthology show, you don't need it. No. And uh, I think, if anything, the trying to sort of force the relationships onto the, the midnight side, I don't think that was necessary either. Not at all, no. Um, I can see why they did it. I just think it was probably a bit of wasted effort, Yeah, if I'm honest. Uh, or filler. Yeah, because it's it's certainly I think what set this show apart, but it's not as you say, it's not what you remember. When you say are you afraid of the dark, people might remember the campfire, but they don't straight away go to the Midnight Society and those characters. Yeah. They go to their individual episodes that they remember. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, so um yeah, for me it's definitely worth a, a revisit and I, I'd encourage anybody to do I, it. I think so. You're not gonna get any cultural value out of it, you're no, not no, gonna, no. you know, it's it's poor. Let's be honest. It's poorly put together, but it's only poorly put together because we expect much more now. Of its time, it would be yeah. very professional. I mean, I've got to be honest and say, I think saying it's poor is probably selling it short because mm. it's a product of its time. But I don't think that like, we've watched some things on in the course of doing this podcast. I think when we did Raccoons, it's probably the best example. Rewatching it fucking ruined it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I don't think rewatching this would no. ruin it in any way. No, I don't. It that's what I was just exactly what you remember yeah no better yeah but, but certainly, certainly no worse, no worse. yeah no. i think that's what i'm going to say is that because that we've watched some things and it's absolutely fucking ruined it like yeah. I, I now don't remember i don't have the same fondness for them when you mentioned raccoons to me now it's again talking to somebody this week about what's coming up next when we talked about raccoons when in having that conversation oh i love that so yeah I, I used to as well and then we did the show yeah oh is it that bad? It's like you have to listen, but you know, it's it's like it, it kind yeah. of pisses on the whole point of the show to to an extent. Yeah. Because if you if you have that fondness and then it goes away, you're kind of left with a big pile of ashes, and, and yeah, it's not really, it's not really what what you set out to do. Yeah. In the case of this show, I don't think that's not that's likely, but I don't. 
Yes, aesthetically it's poor. But I think beyond that, I think the yeah, stories think and the characters stand out. That's, that's, that's where I was coming from. Um, I think, had I been an adult watching it when it came out then, yeah, or was I watching it now as an adult, not having the nostalgic tie to it, it would be poor. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's The acting is bad. It's a single camera set. The, the, some of the lighting is atrocious because they do things in broad daylight. Yeah. Um, but... As a kid, I didn't care, and now I have the fondness to be able to watch it. And at the end of the day, as you say, um, some of the writing is terrible and the dialogue is terrible. But the stories are fairly solid, yeah. and ultimately that's what I'm watching it for. And so as long as the stories are okay, then yeah, that's right. it's okay. Yeah, it's, I guess it's a good time to watch a couple. I'm not going to sit down and do a box set, but I want to go and watch some now, and I'll yeah. go through. And again, the beauty of an anthology show, I'm sure if I fire up YouTube, I can find specific episodes and just yeah. watch that. So that's right. So if you've enjoyed this episode, um, by all means get in touch. You can reach us on Twitter at SMPDPod. Um, we're on Facebook with the Double Down Podcast Network. You can go to our website at uh, ddpodcast.net. There's some other episodes, there's some other podcasts on there as well, which are equally as good. Um, but have a scope around. But until next time. I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. <laughs>